0: Actually, let's make this easier. I went to a poetry reading on August 30th, because right now I'm realizing I'm not quite sure what day it is, and how many days ago that was from when I'm recording now, I can't be sure. What I can be sure is that I went to a poetry reading on August 30th, (laughs) and that should be my starting point. I went to the reading to see two good friends who I know Joseph Lees and Donna de la Perrier. and I also got the chance to hear from um, a poet and writer I'm not familiar with named Natasha Saje. She's from Salt Lake City, and it was a great opportunity to hear a different voice and to receive her perspective. The reading was held at Moe's Books, which is in Berkeley. And Moe's has a storied history among writers and poets. And one of the first things that she pointed out when she got up to read, Natasha that is, said that, I'm from Salt Lake City. And for me to be here now, reading at Moe's, is a dream come true. And it's also an amazing experience. And it was a lot of fun to hear her take in this place that once you've lived in the Bay Area for a certain amount of time becomes like so many other places that you can walk by without paying attention it's right on Telegraph Avenue near the corner of Durant and there's this or Dwight um, there's this three block stretch from that point on where Telegraph becomes a slew of businesses, mostly retail, um, a lot of food, as you approach University Avenue and the uh, University of California Berkeley campus. So its location is not only prime for its uh, proximity to all of these different storefronts and the college, but also because there's this frantic energy I mean, the whole area is chaotic between street vendors, and the fact that um, unless you're familiar with the streets, the moment you realize there's, there's 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 and you have to dive down one of the sides to the left of the or take advantage of the parking garages or look for somewhere on the street that the frantic energy probably hits people the most whether you're walking or driving, being around people who aren't sure where they're going and are suddenly in a hurry because they want to get someplace where they can park and know where they are. And until they've done so, they won't be at ease, they won't be relaxed enough to drive with any comfort. And that's going to make things very difficult for anyone who is trying to be around them Um, it makes their actions seem sketchy or undecided or inconsistent and it also makes the, uh, the experience confusing so you've begun with this frantic energy which is so clear and so prevalent And you move into this great little bookstore, which feeds off that energy and invites anyone from outside to come in and experience either the the books or, in this case, a reading by local and one non-local poet. But that also creates the opportunity for lack of understanding when it is clear to the people attending the reading that those who are coming in and out aren't aware of their impact on the reading and what it can mean for that experience. I've got some audio that I will try and work into this podcast recording in the hopes that it can illustrate or in some way encapsulate one of these moments. We'll see how well that works out. But I wanted to start with this idea in a bookstore on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley and a poetry reading because a few different ideas came out during this reading. And I think for anyone who enjoys writing, who enjoys reading or listening, or who enjoys going to a public art performance like a poetry reading and experiencing this, Um, What I'm about to describe is probably going to feel not only familiar, but also disquieting in its familiarity, Um, whether you dislike people being interrupted, whether you dislike yourself being interrupted. Um, When you're somewhere that you can't control what's happening around you while you're trying to enjoy something that you want, again... I think it harkens back to that frenetic energy that I first described. I'd like to make one addendum, if I could, before you start playing the next clip, which features audio from Moe's bookstore. Unfortunately, there is no best place to put a microphone when attempting to do or complete or capture a recording at Moe's Bookstore, mostly because many people around me were moving, simply finding a seat, arriving late, or shuffling past us. And I apologize that there will be some sound quality issues as I have to move the microphone, i.e. my phone, around in order to accommodate that. If you find it simply too disruptive, skip ahead and you can hear the rest of my thoughts about this Experience, But the attempt is to capture what it's like if you haven't been to a live reading and what it can be like when it's disruptive and difficult to hear the speaker. That's my quick warning before you listen to the next clip. And again, if it's too distracting, the point is to understand that sort of confusion, disruption and experience. Feel free once you've had your fill to skip ahead to the next track. If you're brave enough to soldier all the way through, well, thank you, because you were willing to engage past the distractions, or at least make the attempt. And that's all that any of us who were there were trying to do as well. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor.
1: In the no- footnotes was the actual text of the anathema that was waged. Now you can find it on the internet because you for it. But uh, the actual text of the anathema that was waged against Spinoza by his um, congregation in Amst- uh, Amsterdam, I think it was. Um, so the language is so fabulous, I thought I would steal it okay. and use it to have um, religion divorce me, anathemize me. Hmm. So, with the judgment of the priests in their amuses and albs, their cinchers, stoles, and chasubles; the bishops in their mitres pointing to the sky, the rabbis and yarmulkes and tasseled and clipped, the saints in their garments, embroidered with compass and squares, the ayatollahs in their black turbans and white beards, and all the rest of the clergy, who every day are more sure of their faith, who every day know more of the heresies I practice and teach. And with the consent of the elders and of all the congregations, in the presence of the Bible, the Quran, the Talmud, in their proliferate cathedrals and cloisters, mosques and minarets, synagogues and temples, etc., etc., and with precepts written herein with the curse Elijah laid upon the children, and with all the curses which are written in the law and not in the law. And through those who have endeavored by diverse threats and laws and promises to take me from my way of living outside religion, who will not pardon me, who raise a rod over my soul, whose axes ring in my flesh. I refuse the censer and the breviary, the thurible and the ciborium, the rosary and the offertory. I prefer my wine and bread unconsecrated, my soul unrepentant. Cursed am I by day and cursed by night, cursed in sleeping and cursed in waking, cursed in coming out and cursed in going in, Let the wrath and the fury of the righteous henceforth be kindled against me and lay upon me all the spells they think they can conjure. Destroy my name under every religion and cut me off from my undoing from all such tribes so that I may live as if I am already dead. Mm -hmm. I had a a wonderful editor for this book. He he asked... um, Jim Schlag, the name. He asked very few questions, but the que- that, that was he had asked a question about that. He said, "Wait a minute, I don't get it. I get, I get almost everything else, but what is it?" And I said, "Well, you know, it's like a Buddhist poem." He said, oh. And the last poem I'll read is uh, H. The letter H has an amazing number of reduplications, uh, double words that are linked together. You'll hear them in this poem. I don't know why H is such a magnet for this this construction. I never knew what it was until I... Is that available here? Uh, no? Great. She she you know talks about <laughs> etymologies of words and uh, she had a whole session about. Then I learned these are called reduplications. <laughs> and it's uh, a sonnet. Oh how we hanky panky harum scarum in our happy home dancing hoochie coochie. Sure it makes for hugger mugger but we give a hoot for happenstance. The yard is full of hound and hares, the door adorned with harlequins, in the closet hand-me-downs. If Hammurabi and his weak queen come by, we won't be hoity-toity, we'll offer haggis or humble pie. Our bed floats on pocus, pocus our popore, holy habeas, and the kitchen hums a hymn, hail to higgily-piggily. If the world can't call our hurly-burly hunky-dory, let it hara-kiri if it dares. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
0: We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. That was about a five-minute recording and clip of Natasha's reading at Moe's on August 30th, (laughs) because I can't remember how many days ago that was. And what sticks out for me is that there are moments when everything she is saying is so easy to hear. And other times when the noise and distraction makes it difficult. Now, I'm also going to admit that there's at least one or two moments when my recorder wasn't staying in place and my attempts to adjust it probably added to the distraction or the disruption when you're trying to listen to her speak. But I think by comparison the other noises last for longer and create more of a distraction. I think poetry is extremely valuable and I know that there are plenty of people who feel that that is an understatement regarding poetry and who would speak much more uh, vociferously (laughs) than I am when it comes to their defense of poetry. But I think writing in general is important. And I believe that the opportunity to go and hear it uh, has value not only for the listeners, but for the reader. And I think that part of that value is lost when there's enough disruption and distraction that the experience is incomplete for both the reader and the listener. Because I believe that there's a value in writing and in poetry, and in all forms of writing, to be honest. My concern is that those interruptions, that inability to connect completely, either with the reader or with your audience, is a concern because these writers, these speakers, and these listeners are all looking to share an experience that they both hope will continue the reader and the speaker want their works to make an impact that they can not only listen to but respond to and continue with their work and the listener is looking for that experience that reminds them of things that are too easy to forget in the midst of day-to-day struggles and that can lift our eyes and our sights above the things that pull them down and look with longer sight past the immediate towards our goals, towards our futures. And by doing that, we get a chance to rise up from all of the weights of the day and the week and the month and however long it's been since the last time we felt this way, and that ability to lift up, to look further, its value extends beyond the moment, and it resonates which is a very popular word for writers because something that resonates is like a ripple in the water. The only thing that stops it from continuing is the moment it strikes the edge. And for so many writers and artists, that moment is the moment that they've been waiting for, that that continuance will reach out and strike something but without the opportunity for that to occur it gets harder and it's hard enough to write down your ideas or to take in someone else's and let them feed you nourish you and without that that regular sustenance it can be harder still To accomplish either of those tasks I'm not saying that all things have to be easy And the best things Are often attained Because of the things that Had to be overcome In order to attain them But The chances we Can create In the moments that we have available To Give Our best the best opportunity is something that is worth aspiring to, especially when we remember the value of what the result is, when we get the chance to make that clear connection and for the reader and the listener to both walk away with something that's going to carry them on and carry them forward and, in my belief, eventually bring them back together to see what's new, what's been learned, what's been gained, and what's been added. And maybe even sometimes what's been removed to make things clear, I guess would be the, uh, the best word, to, to refine the message, to restate with greater purpose and greater clarity. And I'm hoping that that value, that that understanding of that value can be enough to make these moments, these interactions and their potential, if not sacred, then at least honorable. Honorable enough to have a space an uninterrupted space, where that can occur. And I'm not sure if uh, the way that poetry readings are being done allows for that. And yet at the same time, I know they're doing the best that they can because the opportunities are few and far between. But it's in these moments when you're trying to hear the message that it's easiest to recognize when these distractions occur and to question just to what degree their impact really is. Not only on you, but on those around you. And I really think that was the, the main concern and the main impetus I had for recording this podcast about the things that can and sometimes do drown out poetry and writing and to keep in mind what we can do and what we're capable of when that's something we're paying attention to now I'm No stranger to the real world. And that means that I know a poetry reading in a bookstore is a poetry reading in a public space. The public has a right to engage with the public space however they choose. It's part of their uh, First Amendment rights to freely express and speak and think and act, as long as it doesn't harm others. But that doesn't mean that the experience that uh, those who came to enjoy at the reading isn't impacted, and sometimes confusingly so, and with a bit of humor, but also uh, it creates a disconnect for them during that reading experience each time the outside public world requires them to pull away from what they're doing so they can pay attention to something else that's louder and because it chooses not to cease, uh, eventually will pull their attention away. That's not the fault of the speaker. It's the fact that if the speaker isn't aware of their impact on the reading or the other activities and their impact on the reading, how can they know that it's pulling away from the experience that those who are seated are trying to enjoy when someone is reading to them. So what's this got to do with a horny dog? Um, (laughs) Well, let's start with the fact that we didn't know it was a horny dog, at least not all of us. We only heard someone say, oh, my God, too horny, and then I have to go. Now, rewind a little bit to Natasha reading her poem and finishing and moving on to a new poem and this one had a very um, interesting sound to it Uh, a lot of her poems were working with uh, poetry forms so for example one um, I always say this wrong Abbasidian, Abbasidian where the alphabetic quality is that the first line and the last line end and start with the same word moving from poem to poem. So, for example, uh, if the last line in a poem is here, then the first line in the next stanza would be, or the first word in the next line would be here. Uh, I'm probably doing a terrible job of describing it, but the idea is basically she was working with these different forms, and the next form that she was reading had a very uh, sensual quality at one point and while she was reading these very careful lines um, someone nearby started to chuckle softly and there was like a shaking noise and you could hear a chain or keys rattling and then someone said off to the side oh my god must be too horny. And it came right at the end of Natasha speaking, uh, the ending of a central line. And myself, and I think many who are listening, kind of tilted our heads in the direction of the sound of the speaker off to the side, because it appeared that they were in some way um, adding on or responding verbally to what Natasha had been reading. And we all looked around And the next thing he said The voice was Oh my god I have to go And you could hear footsteps running up And politely I tried not to turn around And look to see who it was Because Natasha For uh, All of her professional demeanor Had continued reading Only pausing to let that person's words continue their utterance and when they were done, she immediately picked back up as if to say, Well, you needed to take that, that moment to say what you need to say, but I'm still reading and I'm gonna allow for a pause as you say that and as soon as you're done I'm gonna move right back into reading. Which I thought was extremely deft. But I didn't know it was a dog and I didn't find out until after the reading and the person next to me pointed out that there was a dog. And then it appeared to be humping someone's leg. (laughs) To which the owner said, oh my goodness, it's so horny. The dog being, of course, the horny one. And its actions of humping someone else's leg. But his timing, because of what was being read by Natasha, was unfortunate. And the moment he realized that what he was saying was spoken loud enough for the group of us who were seated to hear it he ran out in embarrassment now here's the problem i remember all of those things occurring better than i remember the contents of the poem that natasha was reading and as much as i enjoyed the experience of the man and his dog that's not what i had hoped to come away with and i was lucky that it didn't occur when I was listening to some of my favorite parts of poems by Joseph and Donna. But it meant that I wouldn't be able to remember the poems read by Natasha the same way because of the interruptions that took me out of my listening experience and also kept me from hearing all of her poems. And when I can't hear all the lines in a poem, it's hard for me to connect with it and it's hard for it to connect and stay with me that wasn't the only interruption. In fact, there were quite a few of people coming in and out and starting conversations close by where the reading was and not worrying about how loud their voices were. And it would be, to my enjoyment, better if I could remember the poem that was being read. But instead, what I have is recollections of these interruptions and the sort of thread that they created while I was listening to Natasha's reading. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. So Joseph started off the reading with selections from his new book, The Body Ghost. I first heard Joseph read when he was reading um, excerpts from his earlier works. Examples of those would be um, Testify. And there's a whole catalog of Joseph works that I'm sure at some point I'm going to end up going into. Um... He's a great poet. He's had poems featured in the uh, Best American Poetry and in the Norton Anthology, and I think that they capture a lyrical quality that is something that's always drawn me to poetry. In fact, I had the opportunity to talk with him after the reading, and one of the first things that I focused on was how much I enjoy poetry because it's sonorous, It goes back to my childhood or youth and the idea of the musicality of a message, how it was easy as a child to be indoctrinated to um, Christian Pentecostal ideology because of the music uh, that was designed to engage and to inspire and to once you'd experienced it long enough to enjoy it with a comfort and familiarity. And for me poetry has always offered that that musicality that invites me to join and experience and participate and at the end I enjoy because of its familiarity. So there was Joseph reading from his new works in The Body Ghost and I've actually mentioned it. Um, previously and it was funny because I ran into someone at the reading who was at a previous reading maybe four to five months back in San Francisco at City lights and I had made a comment then that a great line from one of Joseph's poems says that they stuffed a body in a mailbox it was just a suit crumpled up just a body in a mailbox and it was a very haunting image to me it It presented so many different ideas. I mean, questions, of course, but also interpretations of of what that means or how that symbol can ingrain itself on memory, on the brain, on the ear. And I met someone uh, named Colin at the reading that I was at at Moe's Books, and it turned out he had been at the reading at City Lights. And he mentioned that one of his favorite comments was from someone in the audience who pointed out that line. And when I mentioned it was me, we had a good chuckle, and it was funny to share a affinity for something that for me had my own reasons for enjoying it, and now I'm sure this gentleman, Colin, had his own. But that we could both relate to Joseph's work, not only through that one line, but through our shared experience of hearing it and engaging with it at a previous reading. After Joseph read, his partner Donna read from her new chapbook, which I understand will be coming out soon, and whose title I am unclear on, and since there's currently no published record, I can't clarify the title without bothering Donna and Joseph. I should also point out that the best time for me to record these podcasts is early in the morning when there's less outside noise or distractions and interruptions. So when I'm doing these at four or five in the morning, I might be inspired to reach out and contact someone. And thankfully, I remember that because most of them are in my time zone, they'd rather just sleep and talk to me later. (laughs) So Donna read from her new chapbook. And it was a great selection. Um, Again, she offers similar uh, musicality in her poetry. And yet, her voice creates uh, a different melody for me that, while I feel is a complement to what I experience when I hear Joseph, is also singular and uh, identifiable only as Donna when she's reading or when you're reading her work. And that led to Natasha, whose work I'd never heard before, but who I was excited to listen to simply because she'd made such a great journey to come out and read with us. And because I felt that in my experience, someone who's writing from a different geography is also usually writing from a mindset based there. And I enjoy hearing that thinking. Because I feel that it often provides a parallel or a perpendicular viewpoint to how I've been internalizing information, processing it, or rationalizing and reasoning through it. And to hear the images and the sounds and the ideas that capture her desire for writing is a chance to see inside someone else's process and I like that simply because it often shows me something I never considered before and once I do I find ways to make my work stronger and better and I think that overall I find that my work becomes more reflective and by doing so I'm actually able to engage more with the outside world, with the subject that I'm trying to capture and without doing so I might have gotten as close as I could but I know that I would not be able to get as close as I might consider. Simply because without knowing more, how can I consider more? Thank you again for listening to Storytelling with Seth. Whether you're listening on Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, iOS, Google Play, or one of the many other platforms available, I appreciate you taking the time to listen and if you're one of those generous supporters thank you if you didn't know you can support my podcast while you're listening to this recording feel free to take a look for the link that says to support me Should be a really simple little button and if you're having any trouble don't hesitate to reach out and let me know and I'll make sure that I'll do my best to help but Your listening, your continued support, is what makes these podcasts possible, and I couldn't do it without you. So, thank you again, not only for listening, but for your generous support, and for all the different platforms that you listen to Storytelling with Seth. I look forward to sharing my next story with you soon.